It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Do I Walk in the Spirit or the Lusts of My Human Nature? Part 4. Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 20 years. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Every Christian wants to know the most important things in our battle to be faithful to God through Jesus. In this fourth part of our series, we'll find ourselves right in the middle of some of those most important things called the fruit of the Spirit. Though these fruits sound simple, they are deep, profound, and life-changing. When the Apostle Paul listed the fruit of the Spirit in the fifth chapter of Galatians, he placed it right after a nasty list, recounting 15 deeds of the flesh. This fruit list was positioned as a remedy for any Christian who might struggle with any of those earthly issues. In part one and two of this series, we examined the depths of sin in that earthly deeds list. In part three, we opened up the remedy, the fruit of the Spirit, and began with love, joy, and peace. While these three things seem basic to any Christian, they have deep roots in the teaching and example of Jesus himself. As we now continue with part four of our series, we'll address the next three fruit on this list, patience, kindness, and goodness. Don't let the simplicity of these things fool you as they each have the ability to unequivocally change your life. We will begin by recapping the Apostle Paul's lesson from chapter 5. Let's read verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So Paul is beginning this teaching. He then lists those deeds of the flesh. There are 15 specific deeds listed. They're set up in five categories. Let's just review them very quickly. First is intimate human desire, found in verse 19. And the deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Next, the spiritual control in our lives, verse 20 idolatry, and sorcery. Then come interpersonal relationships from verse 20. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Group relationships, verse 20 and 21. Disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. And then finally, reckless behavior from verse 21. Drunkenness and carousing. And after this list, Paul then covers anything he may have missed. Let's finish verse 21. And things like these, of which I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So with this powerfully negative and revealing list in hand, the apostle then immediately moves on to a list of powerfully positive and life-changing characteristics of true Christians. So Jonathan, let's go Galatians 5, 22, and we'll go 22 and 23 right now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. So there's nine fruit of the Spirit listed here. Paul's point with this stark contrast between those 15 deeds of the flesh and these nine fruit of the Spirit becomes obvious when we go to verses 24 and 25 of Galatians 5. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So what we truly live by daily, Rick, dictates how we walk through life. So as we do this quick review of the things that we've talked about, this is important because the fruit of the Spirit is all about what do I stand for every day of my life? We truly live, just like you said, live by... the things that we live by dictate how our life actually comes out. And if your life isn't coming out on a spiritual level, that should tell you something about the kinds of things that you're living by. And Rick, uh, Galatians 5.22 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is, and let's define this word fruit. You know, it's simple. It means fruit, literally or figuratively. This word for fruit is a general word that has both a literal, figurative meaning And this meaning is used many times throughout the New Testament. All right. It's a really basic word. You know, how many times do we define words and they're like, and it's got a complexity to it. And there's a subtlety here. This is just fruit. (laughs) <laughs> and, and But it's so important because the basicness of the meaning gives us the grandness of the meaning because you really know what the focus is. So the fruit of the Spirit equals the fruitage of God's power and influence, the fruitage of God's Spirit, working within us. So it's the fruit not of Jonathan, it's not the fruit of Rick. It's the fruit of God's power and influence working in Jonathan and working in Rick and working in anyone else who is a true Christian seeking to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So in our last episode, we observed the fruits of joy and peace as an outgrowth of the fruit of selfless love. And focusing on fruit, Rick, the first was love, the foundation for all that is to follow. This love is selfless love. Now, selfless love rises to the heights of giving that does not need or seek reciprocation. This is how God loves us, how Jesus loves us, and how Jesus taught us to love one another. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And boy, the, the way that Jesus loved us was sacrificial. It was, I'm giving my life up for you. This is what he's, 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 he's encouraging us to do. Love one another as I have loved you. It is a love that is willing to give without receiving. Uh, so a, a life of this selfless, this benevolent kind of love that is modeled after God and our Lord Jesus is a life that has a solid foundation for walking in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit without this foundation. Without this foundation, the other fruit of the Spirit would never fully mature. Strive to learn, to feel, express, and live God's love, and by so doing, open the door for true spiritual growth. We need love as the spiritual fruitage and foundation for everything else. Focusing on fruit, the second was joy a newly produced gladness based on selfless love and spiritual things. Joy means cheerfulness or calm delight. True and lasting joy is a fleeting experience in our world. 
The idea of joy being a fruit of God's Spirit implies that this joy should be always accessible and even inspiring. John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus, again, on that night before uh, his crucifixion, speaks of joy and having his joy in us. And, and Jonathan, when we talked about this uh, last week, we were talking about at that, mo- at that point, Jesus wasn't joyful. He wasn't like, hey, this is great. I'm about to be crucified. He had the joy of God within him that drove him to accept and work through the tremendous trial, the tremendous, the tremendous stress and trauma he was about to face. That It was the joy that brought him through those things. Joy is not some outward thing. It's something much bigger. It's something inward. As a fruit of the Spirit, joy is unlocked when we embrace the love of God as a basis for our lives and dwell in the magnitude of his plan. Dwell in the magnitude of his plan. That's what Jesus did. Joy is a natural byproduct of the Spirit, and there can be no other response to such a wise, just, and loving plan. When you see the magnitude of God's plan, if, you are, are, if it doesn't produce joy in you, then you haven't seen it. You don't understand it. Because it is so big, it is so beautiful, it is so comprehensive, it has to produce, it produce joy. In our daily Christian experiences, we need to allow the joy of God's plan to live, to breathe, and grow, even when our trials are raging. Focusing on fruit, third was peace, a newly produced harmony based on selfless love and spiritual things. Peace means peace, harmony, security, prosperity. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, during his time with his disciples, Jesus comforted them four ways. First, he promised God's Spirit would guide them. Second, he encouraged them to love one another as he loved them. Third, he gave them his joy by teaching them. And fourth, he gave them his peace. And John 14, 27 reads, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So, you know, Jonathan, I love, I love what you said, because we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we say, okay, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and it's love, joy, peace. That's what starts it. And that night before Jesus' crucifixion, it was all about the Spirit and love, joy, and peace. Those were the lessons. That's what he taught them to begin with. And you see the Apostle Paul saw that and wrote it so we could understand it and appreciate it. It just, it blows me away to think about this and how love is such a strong foundation and joy grows out of that because you understand God's plan. Again, joy is not this emotional thing. It is this internal uh, um, contentedness that it's God's plan. And that brings a peace that most people will never understand. You know, the scripture talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding, keeping our hearts and minds. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not the fruit of us. It's the fruit of God's Spirit in us. It takes work to get out of the way. You've got to get out of the way so the fruit of God's Spirit can have a place to grow. And Rick, I'm so grateful that you saw that connection of these lessons that Jesus left with the disciples and then seeing Paul bringing out the beauty. I I have never seen them connect like this before. 
Thank you. No, it, 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 it blew me away. It's like, wow, the Apostle Paul really observed everything. <laughs> and, you know, you get this sense that, and what it does, Jonathan, is it helps us see that God's plan is bigger and more comprehensive than we could ever imagine. So, folks, in this, in this segment, we're, we're really basically looking at kind of reviewing. This is where we've been. In this episode, now, we're going to observe that the fruits of patience, kindness, and goodness are developed based upon selfless love. So that's where we're going to begin to go next. So as we move forward to the next batch of fruit, we can stand firmly and eagerly on the foundation of love, joy, and peace. The next fruit of the Spirit is patience. Didn't Jesus tell us, in your patience possess ye your souls? Well, while Jesus did tell us that in Luke 21, 19, it's important to realize that the patience or endurance Jesus spoke of there was different than the patience or long-suffering that Paul spoke about as a fruit of the Spirit. They're different. This fruit of the Spirit kind of patience is not as commonly spoken about in Scripture, and it has much to do with restraint as it does with waiting. So this is important. This is not the kind of patience that we normally would just jump into. Focusing on fruit, patience. A newly developed discipline based on selfless love and spiritual things. The word for patience means forbearance or subjectively fortitude with long enduring temper, that is leniently. Here's an example of forbearance. When a loan is in forbearance, it means you won't have to make payments or you can temporarily make smaller payments. The loan holds back on its required payment schedule, taking advantage of this inconvenient, but in current debt, it certainly does not help you pay back that which you owe. Now, during COVID in the U.S., all student loans were suspended. They were in forbearance. Exactly. And the root word for patience means to be long-spirited, that is, objectively forbearing or subjectively patient. Now, in the following parable, Jesus was teaching us about a king who was settling debts and a servant owed him a great deal. Matthew 18, verse 26 in the King James Version. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. So now, we often read this verse, and we think of, Lord, have patience. It's like, okay, be easy on me. Just, you know what, just, just, you know, just take a breath and be easy. The word for patience here, those means forbearance. In other words, have restraint with me. Why? Because in those days, you didn't pay what you owed, you went to jail. It was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. That's it. There's no, there's no in between. There's no negotiation. You go into jail till you can pay that which you owe. Never understood that because how can you pay it when you're in jail? But that's a yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yes, yeah, thought, thought for a different <laughs> podcast. But so this word for patience, forbearance, is a really important thing. It is not not applying oneself in in a in a forward way versus the patience of holding up under very difficult circumstances. That's the kind of patience we always think of. So patience or long-suffering here being defined as a willingness to be non-reactive and appropriate 
It's also telling us to be willing to wait for a situation to completely unfold, to be disciplined in holding back. This patience, this forbearance gives the benefit of the doubt and can only truly be displayed by mankind through a humble spirit. To help your children learn more about patience, check out our CQ video, What is Patience? Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So patience, forbearance. We're really going to be using that word a lot in this segment. And how do we learn what forbearance really is? Well, you know, I've got the loan example, and that's a really good example. We had that example in the parable. God's forbearance, though, God's forbearance, his patience is our primary example. In Romans chapter 1, it was all about blatant idolatry and sensuality. Not a fun chapter to read. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul urges Christians to, with long-enduring tempers, refrain from judgment, from the things they saw in Romans chapter 1, without proper cause and without proper place. So let's drop in on a few verses in Romans 2. Jonathan, let's start with Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. It's too easy to just judge. <laughs> Think about how, how, how regularly we fall into that pattern of just judging. Well, why hold back? We're to forbear, we're to hold back, we're to have restraint because God in his spiritual wisdom forbears. And if God does something and, and shows us restraint, we certainly need to learn from that. So let's look at Romans chapter 2 now. Uh, let's go to verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience or forbearance, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, for God's Spirit to produce peace within us, we must be disciplined to rise above our fleshly desires and deeds with a long-tempered approach to best manage the inconsistencies we see before us. See, God, it, it, look, if anybody can see inconsistencies, it's God. It's not you. It's not me. It's God. He can see them. He can feel them. He can project where they're going to bring us. He sees it all. And when we realize that God's forbearance is everywhere, it is an inspiration for us to develop that same kind of restraint. So we've got the example of God's forbearance. We're going to come back to that. But let's go to a different example. The Hebrew Christians were exhorted to have the forbearance of the prophets in their experiences. So now, in the next scripture, we're going to look at the prophets and how they exhibited that forbearance that God has shown us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. For God is not unjust so as to forgive your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience or forbearance inherit the promises. Now, Rick, a good example of forbearance, I think, would be Noah. You know, it took Noah and his sons 120 years to build the ark. 
the interesting thing was when God told him that his sons would help with his with their wives, guess what? <laughs> he had no children at the time. <laughs> no one knew this was going to be a long-term endeavor. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you're living in a world that is just gone completely sour. Sound familiar? Noah, think think about it. We we have each other to to hold each other up in this in this world. Noah didn't have anybody, and 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 here he is. He is he's got this restraint. He's told he's going to build this enormous boat, and he's going to be 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 floated to safety essentially, and his sons are going to help. He doesn't have any family. Talk about having to have that waiting and that restraint and that fortitude. It really is, it really is an amazing thing. And, and, and think about God's part of this. God, the scripture says that the sin of that world had come to its full. And so he's doing something about it, but it takes another 120 years for him to actually act on it. You see, God's forbearance is always showing up at every corner. It's an amazing thing. I mean, how often did the prophets have to wait for God's instruction when all seemed so chaotic? They're always in the middle of something that seems too big. God always comes through, but in his own blessed time, in his restrained way. Those who are tasked with guiding the flock, let's look at another example of forbearance now. Those who are tasked with guiding the Christian flock, okay, Christian shepherds, ministers, pastors, are especially instructed to have what? To have forbearance. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and great with great patience or forbearance and instruction. Now, Rick, I mentioned a few episodes ago that when I'm really focused, I'm in what I call a work mode. So, uh, you know, it's very hard to yeah, know, yeah, interrupt yeah. me. In yeah, that let, me let me just tell you, just before you go further, I know okay. that when you're in a work mode, I stay over here because <laughs> you're working. <laughs> well, well, recently um, I had an experience. I was swimming my laps. I was in a lap pool that was supposed to be for adults only. Well, there were kids and their parents playing in the middle of the lanes and they were not moving or paying attention. So... Instead of telling them in my usual work mode voice, hey, they should not be in the pool, <laughs> I, I practiced forbearance by swimming around them time and again. <laughs> I, I can't, it's almost hard for me to see you do that because your laps are very important to you. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're a big part of your personal discipline and to be able to swim around all of this going on and nobody, nobody got the idea, right? No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going back and forth. Yeah. They so, don't understand. I kept telling myself, they don't get it. It's okay. Just do what you can do. <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot of restraint there. There was a lot of holding back. And it's like, okay, they don't get it. It's all right. I can do this. And it, and it disrupted, but it was actually, it was a really good example. Now, they would have not even known, but it's a good example to those of us who hear the experience later. So thanks for sharing that. Sure. I could just see you go. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Our forbearance. So, you know, we talked about the forbearance of God. We talked about the forbearance of the prophets. We talked about the forbearance of pastors and teachers in the church. Our forbearance as Christians, just regular Christians, has to do with waiting for the unfolding of God's plans and prophecies, just like others. Such waiting has to be with a steady heart 
and a steady mind. We're going to look at James 5, uh, 7 through 11. Let's just do 7 through 9 to start. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And Rick, so the farmer had to wait for the process to be accomplished. First, the early rains, and second, the latter rains. And then, and only then, could he harvest. And the challenge in that is, what if the latter rains are running a little late? What if you're not sure? What if, what if, well, maybe it's good enough. Maybe, it's, maybe I should just, maybe I should just. The, the farmer waits and has to have restraints. The crop is there. I could harvest, but you're not supposed to yet. And the apostle, or, or I'm sorry, James, James is giving us a really strong admonition here to have that same kind of restraint, holding back, waiting for things to be put in order. Waiting for God's plan to unfold can make us impatient, and it can make us impatient with one another. If we have this lack of forbearance between us, let's take it as a serious warning sign. Again, the prophets are an example. Going back to James chapter 5, now verses 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, who count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And Rick, remember when Job had lost so much in his life and he was covered in boils and, you know, it was miserable for him. But his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she told him. <laughs> yeah, too bad. <laughs> but and here's the thing. In, in these verses, and this is, this is a beautiful combination, because in verse 10 it said, as an example of brethren of suffering and patience. That's that self-restraint we've been talking about. Then it talks about the prophets uh, and so forth. We count those blessed who endured. That's the other word for patience. That's the one we always look at, who endured, who, who held up under the load, under the weight. That's the patience, the, 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 the endurance that we typically look at. And then we, and it talks about the endurance of Job. Well, Job had restraint as well. He held up under the load and he had restraint for his own emotions. And in the book of Job, you can see his struggle, but you can see the restraint and the holding up. Both of those things work, but it's the restraint part that is a fruit of God's spirit in, in us as Christians. So here James introduces this patience and endurance of the prophet as well. Forbearance and endurance, both parts of patience, absolutely go hand in hand. So when we look at this idea of patience, it's really about restraint. And God's restraint is there. The prophet's restraint, those who, who are guiding the, the, the flock, they have to have restraint. And so do we. It's a fruit of God's spirit. So, the question is, am I rising to a spiritual life, or am I falling into human depravity? As a fruit, patience, proceeding with a long temper, is far more than waiting for a challenge to end. It is a developed discipline. It is watching and waiting with a spiritually-based perspective and responding with a godly response. It is restraining our fleshly reactions 
and responding with grace and wisdom. No wonder forbearance follows peace as a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, and, and that's a really good connection. If you have the peace of God, it's so much easier to be restrained in how we deal with other things. So when we look at these fruit of the Spirit, we can really see a lot of very powerful interconnectedness in, in what the Spirit can produce in us if we're willing to let it. So this kind of restraint really gives us different meaning to patience. Such restraint, along with fortitude, is necessary for all of us. With a healthy dose of major self-restraint in place, what is the next fruitage of God's Spirit in our lives? From love, joy, peace, and forbearance, the Apostle Paul next brings us to kindness. When we think of something as simple as kindness, we might wonder, well, why would it be listed as a fruit of God's Spirit? Well, as with everything else we've discussed, kindness certainly exists in the world. We all likely know people that we think are kind. So what's the difference with spiritually driven kindness? Jonathan, by now we know that when we're talking about this list of the fruit of the Spirit, there's always some kind of difference that makes it stand apart from everything else. Now we have kindness or gentleness or graciousness, depending on the translation. This aspect of the fruit is right in the middle of the list. What does it mean? Focusing on fruit, kindness, a newly developed discipline based on selfless love and spiritual things. Kindness means usefulness, that is, moral excellence in character or demeanor. The Greek-English lexicon defines this as a moral goodness or integrity. I looked up the word integrity from the Oxford Languages Dictionary, and it means honest, whole, and undivided. The root word for kindness means employed, that is, by implication, useful in manner or morals. So, Jonathan, right here, there's a lot of stuff going on. You've got this usefulness, uh, this goodness, moral goodness, moral excellence, and integrity keeps popping up in this definition. And that, it just just go, go over, what was that definition for integrity one more time? It's honest, whole, and undivided. Ah, I love that. I love that. The idea, honest, whole, and undivided, being clear, always in the same way. So this kindness actually means integrity and moral excellence. See, it's much more than, hey, that's a nice person. This is much bigger, much higher. Right away, we can see a difference from what we would normally expect for kindness. To be kind, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, online dictionary, is to be of a sympathetic or helpful nature. And that's great. The added dimension here, though, is simple and profound. It's not only about sympathy and helpfulness. It's also about moral and morality and integrity. This is kindness with a profound depth that drives it. It's much, much bigger than being nice. Now, don't stop being nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this has got so much more to it. So first, with this kindness, this moral excellence, let's realize that the only appropriate example of true moral integrity, guess where it comes from? Comes above. From, that's right. <laughs> comes from above. It always comes from above. We need to get that. And think about it. Why does it always come from above? Because it's the fruit of God's Spirit. So of course it comes from above. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. 
What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. And Rick, this is the same word for kindness, good. There is not even one. You know, this verse reminds me of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, for God's spirit to produce kindness or moral integrity within us, we must model ourselves after God and Jesus, which means having a higher example than anyone or anything earthly. So I, I love the, the Roman scripture, and then you're bringing in that, the, the, that other Romans. What was that, Romans 3, 23? Yes. Uh, and the idea that nobody does good except for God above. Now, obviously, we saw Jesus do good because he was a perfect man, and he always did the will of God. So if you're always doing the will of God, you're actually doing good. The problem is we don't always do the will of God. So you see this as this high, high, big, strong, powerful, broad standard. And it's a standard of integrity and moral excellence that doesn't waver for anything. And that is a beautiful thing. Again, this is a fruit of God's Spirit in us. We need to let these things grow in us. Now, how do you let it grow in you? We need to think about what it is we're doing, what it is we're saying, what it is we're thinking, and think, okay, how am I doing with moral integrity? And we can say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. Pretty good isn't moral integrity. You're either in, entirely on target or you're missing the mark. And to let God's Spirit guide us to higher and higher levels of that. It's like, Jonathan, when you're trying to purify something, you know, it starts out really yucky, and then it's only somewhat yucky, then it's kind of yucky, then I'm making this up as I go, I'm sorry. <laughs> then it's a little bit yucky, <laughs> and, and then suddenly, you know, you have something that's like, wow, that's crystal clear. That's the process of getting ourselves out and letting God's Spirit come in. So with all of that in relation to this moral integrity and this moral excellence, let, let's go a little further. In the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, he gives us a lesson in identifying the kind of moral integrity that we need to have. So Titus chapter 3, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, but let's just do verses 1 to 2 to begin. And this is from the New Living Translation. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They, should, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Well, this true humility is setting the groundwork of integrity. You can't have godly integrity without true humility. You just can't. It, it doesn't work because godly integrity is too big and too broad. So you're right. You need that to have this kind of kindness actually working in, in your life. So the attitude that the Apostle Paul has described is one of, it's an attitude of forbearance, just like the, the previous fruit, having moral restraint to find the good in whatever circumstance we're in. So by having that restraint, it finds the good in whatever circumstance we are in, and it, it start, opens the door for this, this level of, of, of moral excellence and 
and, and goodness. Uh, so the Apostle Paul next reminds us of what, what we came from, of where we came from. So we're in Titus chapter 3. Now let's go to verse 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. <laughs> Gee, that's not very good integrity, is not, it? Not good news. No. <laughs> no, but see, he's saying, look, this is where we were. And the Apostle Paul himself was there. Just remember that. He was there. He's writing this with, with authority. And so as unrighteous and, and immoral as, as many of us may have been, God's own moral integrity was the, the key to changing all of that. Again, Titus chapter 3, now verses 4 to 7. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness, moral integrity, and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You see, you see how the pieces always come together in the same way? God revealed his kindness, his moral excellence, his integrity and love. And he saved us, not because we were good, but because he, he saved us. How did he do that? He did that two ways. First of all, skipping down in the verse, through Jesus Christ our Savior. That opened the door. And then what did he do? He gave us his spirit, which develops his integrity if we let it. You gotta, Jonathan, it's one of those things where you got to realize that I can either stand in the way of God's progress in my life, or I can get out of the way so his progress can overtake my life. Which one do you want to pick? Take your, take your time. <laughs> <laughs> the second, of course. <laughs> of course. But we too easily get stuck. We get stuck because we get too full of ourselves. And it comes back to that humility you mentioned. God's integrity is not only a model for us now, but it will shine out all the more later. So it's amazing to see his integrity in our lives in this present evil world. But there's something even bigger in relation to his integrity and his, quote, kindness, moral excellence. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness, that's that moral integrity, toward us in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, this is something that it's really hard to comprehend because, you know, I'm not going to tell folks, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm getting to be more aged, let's say. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you live your life. You live this little period of time. Well, we live in the, in the age of the gospel, and the age of the gospel has been going on for about 2,000 years. Before that, it was the age of, of, of the Jewish nation's favor. And then it was the, before that, it was the age of, of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then before that, it was the age of the... Uh, before the flood, from, from Adam to the flood. So, and now it says the ages, plural, to come. Now, I just reiterated about 6,000 years of human history. Ages to come. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years to come. What are we going to see? His kindness, his moral excellence, his integrity. 
This is what should drive our moral excellence. Our moral excellence and integrity is not a standalone fruit of the Spirit. Three, three basic points, Jonathan, what are they? Well, it is a developed discipline of spirituality that can only come as a result of God's influence and power. It needs a foundation of selfless love, which focuses us on others and not ourselves. And lastly, it needs forbearance and restraint so we can respond spiritually and not react in a fleshly manner. So all three of those things that you just mentioned are all other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. They're the Spirit of God, which produces the fruit, and then there are other aspects of this fruit. And the further we go into this, Jonathan, you know, we're doing this five-part series on the fruit of the Spirit. And it's like, how can you t- spend all this time on this, these lists? And the answer is, it's really easy. Because there's such a depth, there's such a connectedness. And when you realize that kindness is not just being nice, but it's having moral excellence. It's having integrity, like God's integrity. You realize that, boy, this is a big thing. This is a life-changing thing. How do I get this? How do I make this be in front of my life instead of somewhere you know, in the background? Moral excellence and integrity are necessary as we represent the sacredness of the gospel to all. This is, a, this is an important scripture. 2 Corinthians, well, they're all important, but anyway, 2 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 6, verses 3 uh, to 10. Let's do 3, 3 to 5 to begin with. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Well, let me pause right there, Rick. You know, we need to understand how big this is and be sure we don't ever discredit that which we are tasked to represent in Christ. Continuing with verse 4, But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. So the apostle's talking about never, ever discrediting the beauty of the gospel by our character. Our character has to enhance it not discredited. Then he goes through all these hard things that he went through, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonment. We don't even understand all of that. That's for sure. But he lived those things. He's just listed these hardships of his life. And next, the apostle lists the way he conquered those hardships, verses 6 through 7 of 2 Corinthians 6. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, that's that moral integrity, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. So you have that moral integrity, that moral excellence right there in the middle. This is what he stood for. And that's how we don't corrupt the goodness of God's plan and the gospel, by standing for the highest things. So he's listed the hardships, he's listed the ways of conquering them, but he's not done. No, 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 the Apostle Paul always has something else to add. He's now going to list the seeming the seeming contradictions of life. These contradictions, what do they need? They need integrity to keep them in balance. Verses 8 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 6. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying, yet, behold, we live, as punished, yet, not put to death, as sorrowful, yet, always rejoicing, as poor, yet, making many rich, as having nothing, 
yet possessing all things. So in every one of those things, you see him applying the integrity of God to take something that looks bad and make it good. Why? Because that's what God does. That's the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a great example of that fruit of kindness, of moral excellency, of integrity, working in the Apostle Paul. So what about us? Are we rising to a spiritual life, or are we falling into human depravity? As a fruit, kindness holds a very deep and powerful meaning. It is clearly based upon the moral excellence that came from God and was exemplified in Jesus' daily human life. Level of excellence is not a human trait, but it is a discipline developed through living in selfless love and applying the previous fruit of long-tempered forbearance. God is glorified when we strive for such excellence. You know, it's interesting. God is glorified when we strive for it because he knows how far we have to go. And to realize God's mercy to say, just keep trying. Just get up again. Just get up again. See my example. Get up again and keep moving forward. That's, what, that's what's necessary for us. I would have never thought that kindness could have such a profoundly spiritual meaning. This is something to strive for. Moral excellence and integrity pave the way for many things. What is the next fruit of God's Spirit? Living with integrity and moral excellence changes everything. When you're dealing with someone who has no integrity, you have no barometer to measure that person's thoughts and reactions, resulting in the reaping of doubt and suspicion. However, when you're dealing with somebody who has a clear integrity about them, you immediately reap confidence and trust. Why? Because integrity provokes goodness. You've got to see the connectedness here. Integrity provokes goodness, not only from the person with the integrity, but it very often provokes goodness from those around that person because it's such a crystal clear, pure example. Focusing on fruit, goodness, a newly developed discipline based on selfless love and spiritual things. The definition for goodness is virtue or beneficence. In the Greek-English lexicon, it means uprightness of heart and life. The root word for goodness means good. Virtue is conformed to a standard of right. To be beneficent is to be doing or producing good with generosity. When we look at these things, we look at virtue. It's conforming to a standard of right. To be beneficent is to be doing or producing good with generosity. These things, virtue and beneficence, and that's not a word that we use ever. <laughs> Did you see that guy and the beneficence which he displayed? I mean, come on, really? <laughs> but it's important to understand. Those things are not possible without the previous integrity that we just talked about. Goodness needs moral excellence. It needs kindness. Now, that root word that you talked about for, for goodness is good, it's a very general word, but it's sometimes used with, to, to, with a very, very spiritual meaning. God brings good, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We are to be bringers of good to all, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, 
let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so God brings good. And, and that word for good is just such a simple word. Yeah, good versus bad. But when you read that verse, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Boy, does it have a powerful meaning. We also are to do good to all people. So just like the word fruit, it's such a simple word. The word good has this simplicity, but look, that's our lot in life. That's where we're supposed to be. And who are we supposed to be like? God. It's it's always the same. Why? Because it's the fruit of his spirit in our lives. For God's spirit to produce goodness within us, we must be in tune with what God through Jesus defines as goodness and strive to bring nothing less than his standard. It all starts with selfless love. It always all starts with selfless love. Why? Because that's what God is. God is love. That's what it means. Folks, let's make sure we're getting this. The fruit of the Spirit is our Heavenly Father's character being reflected in us. That's what it's supposed to be. And we're talking about this goodness, this virtue, this beneficence, if you will. Goodness comes when we allow ourselves to be filled by God through his Spirit with joy and peace, going back to some of the previous fruit of the Spirit. Jonathan, it amazes me how often these things intertwine. Romans chapter 15, uh, 13 and 14. Let's just start with 13 for right now. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you've got this joy and peace abounding with the power of the Spirit, so you're putting that all together. Now the Apostle adds one of the fruit of the Spirit that must be developed based on this joy and peace. Verse 14, and I know you know what's coming, but here it comes. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So again, you look at this and say, you're filled with goodness. And if we just read it on the surface, it's like, like, man, you're just such good people. Just so nice. But there's much more to goodness than that. It's that uprightness of heart in life. It's that virtue that conforms to the standard of right. It's that beneficence that's doing and producing good with generosity. It's a bigger thing than just being nice. Let's understand it's the fruit of God's spirit in our lives. And it, it pushes you to action, to be a blessing to others. It, it just doesn't sit there, oh, I'm good. It, exactly. It moves you. Right, because any part of God's character is active. There is no part of God's character that just sits back. It's all active, and this is what we learn through God's Spirit. God's goodness. Now, So let's, let's look at God's goodness as a template for what true goodness stands for. Why? Because that's the highest standard you can find. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this sense of the good pleasure of his goodness, of his virtue, of his beneficence, of his uprightness in heart and life. God's integrity to us is expressed by our privilege to fulfill 
to fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness. We just had that phrase in, in, that, in that last verse, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12. But now let's go to Philippians 2, 12 to 13, and see our part. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work in you. How is he at work in you? He's given you his spirit. What is his spirit? It's his power and its influence. He's given you that part of him so that you can work his good pleasure. Think about that. I don't know. That, that, that's even hard for me to get my head around. But that's what he gives us the opportunity for. And that's what goodness really has to do with, with this whole thing here. And Rick, if we're successful, Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Whoa. <laughs> I know. <laughs> who, who could possibly, possibly be more blessed than those who are given God's spirit and the fruit of God's spirit to be developing in their lives. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His goodness clearly shines in his joy over his plan for humanity. It's like, I've got a gift. You know, Jonathan, when you have a, a really great gift for somebody and you're just like so excited about it because you know it's just going to be something they're going to love and really appreciate, I mean, it's, it's almost more fun to give the gift than it is Absolutely. to, to receive it. Absolutely, I love that. <laughs> and this is God's character. That's what we're talking about, this goodness, this virtue, this acting on this high standard of right that never goes astray. So let's go a little further. What is the good pleasure of our goodness? Because goodness is supposed to be developing in us. Ephesians 5, uh, verses 8 to 13, we'll, we'll pause a few places. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So you were once in darkness, now you're children of light, and the fruit of this light consists in goodness, this virtue, this righteousness, and in truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord? Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. You know, Rick, that is why Paul gave us the two lists in Galatians 5, the bad list and the good list. He understands the human condition, and he's showing us that God's character is the remedy for the human condition. And it's the remedy through the application of his spirit. Will you just get out of the way already? I mean, that, and when I say you, I mean me. We need to get out of the way so that spirit can grow and develop uh, in us. Now, th there, there's a consequence if we don't get out of the way. Let's read verses 12 and 13 of Luke, uh, I'm sorry, of Ephesians 5. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. So it's you have to stay sound and clear and straightforwardly focused on 
this goodness, this fruit of God's Spirit in us. So to develop the discipline of a life lived in spiritual goodness, Jonathan, three points. Realize that you are now a child of light. Know what God expects of those who are children of light. And finally, expose that which is of darkness through God's light. So just like you said before, the Apostle gave us both lists, and it's about light and darkness. When you think about it, talking about this with this fruit of goodness is a really appropriate situation because it's virtue. It's the standing. It's the, 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 the application of that integrity uh, that has things always in, 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 in the right order. So with goodness, it's about being a child of light. And the way we are children of light is not because we're so good, not because we have a nice character. It's because we are dwelling in the righteousness of that that Jesus bought for us, and having God's Spirit work in us. One more scripture, Jonathan. Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. God will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So again, those who by perseverance in doing good, that simple word good here, doing good, what does it bring? Glory, honor, and immortality. Jonathan, what, what could be bigger than that? There's no better gift offered to humankind than that. There's no better gift offered to any spirit kind than that when you That's think of right. glory, honor, and immortality. That's as high as you can go. Do you understand that God's character has to be able to shine through us? And having this goodness is such an important part of that. So the question is, knowing this, am I rising to a spiritual life or am I falling into human depravity? As a fruit of the Spirit, goodness stands upon the development of the long temper of patience and growing the moral excellence of kindness. This virtue, this uprightness of heart and life, is the outward expression of forbearance and integrity. It cannot exist without patience and kindness. All three of these fruits could not be functional without selfless love as their foundation. We are tasked with learning and applying patience, kindness, and goodness from the inside out. That's what Jesus did. And that's really what it boils down to. You know, we, we keep going back to the character of God, the character of God, and the character of God, and we should every time. But that's what Jesus did. His life was built around accomplishing the will of God. And therefore, he was the shining example of the character of God. Goodness is right in the middle of all of that. One last time for today, Jonathan, let's go do the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In our final episode in this series, number 1258, we will examine the fruit of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are the final results of selfless love and a maturing Christian life. So while these three pieces will complete the Apostles' list, they will also represent the beginning of our journey to a fuller Christian life. But for today, folks, it's been about patience, kindness, and goodness. 
and understanding its self-restraint and moral excellency and that virtue that stands on that moral excellency and integrity. Folks, this is the character of God. You have an opportunity as a true Christian to let God's character shine through your life. What are we doing about that? Think about it. Folks, listen, we really love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. And as you know, coming up in our next episode, Do I Walk in the Spirit or the Lusts of My Human Nature? Part 5, Bring on the Last Fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk to you next week.